I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to another episode of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. On today's show, we are going to do the Bucky's Fifth Podcast Awards. We're going to talk about our favorite moments of the season, best plays of the season, our favorite newcomers, MVPs, all sorts of stuff because it is award season. Obviously, everyone's getting their nominations, all Americans, you know, Heisman. Obviously, we might touch on that a little bit here. Uh, and then at the end of the show, we will talk about that basketball game because I'm sure you guys would rather talk about football than what we just watched uh, at the rec center out in uh, New Jersey against Rutgers. The Badgers have dropped their last three games in that building, and it was not pretty doing so. So Matt and I figured we'd rather just get right into the awards. And if you guys want to stick around and listen to us complain about the basketball team, you're more than welcome to. So welcome to Bucky's podcast show matt how are we doing tonight i'm doing good you know obviously we're going to talk about it later but the basketball team wasn't wasn't great today but uh, a lot of good football talk uh today i'm figuring how are you doing oh yeah good good i'm excited to talk about it. i think this you know kind of awards season recap type thing will be a lot of fun and i'm interested to hear because we didn't discuss this beforehand these are both going to be um, our thoughts, and I'll be interested to see where we differ and then where we might have the same. So it should be fun. But I wanted to first ask you about, obviously, we're talking awards. Jonathan Taylor, not getting a Heisman invite. I was a little, not super surprised, um, but a little surprised just given the guys who made it. I, I didn't really think Jalen Hurts was going to get an invite to New York. He ends up getting it, and Jonathan Taylor despite three dominating seasons in the Big Ten, was left off once again. So the likely he's going pro um, and one of the best running backs ever in college football did not get an invite to the Heisman, which is unfortunate. Obviously it happens, but still kind of crazy. So what were your thoughts on that? You know, I wasn't overly surprised that he didn't get it this year. I think, you know, statistically speaking, uh, in rushing numbers, it was his lowest output for rushing yards. I mean, he still got the bowl game to go, but he, he had a complete year, both in catching the ball as well as rushing. 21 rushing touchdowns is absurd. And then you pair that with 
with uh, another couple in through the air with five. It's 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 no doubt a a big season for him, and he kind of went out and proved what he needed to for the pros. But it would have been nice to see him in. New York, but you look and the four guys who are going there are all going to be competing in the playoff. They're all having a chance for a national title here. So I, I think I'm not super surprised given the fact that it's kind of um, catered towards quarterbacks now, as well as the fact that um, the playoff lays very heavily in this uh, decision-making, I think nowadays compared to what it was uh, even just a few years ago uh, pre-playoff. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the Heisman has just kind of turned into that type of award that maybe is obviously quarterback oriented. I know we've talked about it a couple of times on this, but like 17 of the last 19 have been quarterback, some absurd number like that. And then obviously in an award where you now have a playoff, you want your stars up for that. So you can, you know, in the pregame intro, say Heisman nominee against Heisman nominee when Joe Burrow and, and Jalen Hurts square off. So it's going to be interesting to watch. I, obviously, the four guys that, that did go are super deserving, um, and it's probably Joe Burrows to lose. I you know he's a heavy favorite in terms of betting odds, as he's been for the last five, six weeks, really. Uh, so he wouldn't have won the award, but it, it does kind of suck for JT to have just three incredible seasons back to back to back. And I know the award isn't a career award, but it would have been nice to see him get to New York uh, at least once. But what can you really do, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the craziest part is that he he may come home with his second Doak Walker Award win uh, win on Saturday, but he's he's not going to going to have gone to New York to represent for the Heisman once in in one of the best, like you said, careers of running back in history. Yeah, absolutely. But I think JT will be just fine with a, a possible second Doak Walker and uh, probably a prosperous. NFL career coming up and of course a Rose Bowl appearance so a a good finish to his season despite the disappointing and I don't think you'll hear any complaints from from JT or coach Chris but let's get into the awards obviously kind of a season recap everybody knows the record 10 and 3 going to the Rose Bowl Big Ten West champ so we're not going to recap all that Uh, obviously you guys know the numbers and you know the wins losses you watched it all just like we did so we're going to go over and we're going to start first with our, our top plays from each segment of the football season. So our top special teams, offensive and defensive plays. And we'll kick it off, no pun intended, with special teams. <laughs> so, Matt, yep. what was your top special teams play of the 2019 season? Um, I actually just dropped this today uh, for, on the site for special teams with the, a look back at the top five plays, really it was six when I threw in the honorable mention, but I went with Aaron Crickshank's uh, kickoff return. I think that play was just so huge in terms of tipping the momentum back uh, away from Nebraska after Nebraska had just kind of came out the gates hot, dominating the Wisconsin in all facets. Wisconsin looked like they weren't going to be able to do anything offensively. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, he makes that huge play uh, to, I think it was 89-yard kickoff return to to kind of spark the team and and help them kind of pull away in the end give them the boost needed to know okay we can get going here I, I just felt like everything kind of flipped there when he did that it was the first time since 2015 that they had a kickoff return so it was definitely big and you really got a glimpse of what he could do when he gets the ball in his hands and it also led to Crickshank getting more opportunities as the year went on as well yeah what, what, what yep, do you I- think 
I had that one written down, but I went with the Crookshank reversal. Uh, to, I can't even remember who the other person was in that Minnesota Isaac, game. Isaac Isaac Garendo. Yeah, Isaac Garendo. I think that one, while it didn't go for a touchdown, I thought, you know, in terms of the timing that they pulled that out for the first time of the season, worked so well. So I, I think it was just so timely in that game. It was, uh, you know, still close. Momentum was kind of up in the air. And obviously that play was was a huge momentum shift, just given that the Badgers scored a couple plays later uh, against the Gophers. So that's what I had. But I had both of those written down. So I was interested to see where did you have that one on your list? I didn't get a chance uh, to read it. That was number four. Uh, okay. Zach Hintz's absolute bomb from 62 yeah. yards out was number two. So shout out to uh, kickers. So <laughs> you go, Zach Hintz. There we go. There we go. Well, there you have it. Obviously, Aaron Cruikshank heavily involved in our Special teams play. Let's get into defensive play. Top defensive play for you in this 2019 season. Yeah, so this one will actually come out uh, today, I guess you could say, because when you're listening to this, it'll be it'll be Thursday. So I'll I said I went with the Chris Orr stuff. You know, obviously Nate Stanley uh, going for the two point conversion. Iowa had just hit on that big 75 five yard uh, strike from Stanley to. I think it was Tyrone Tracy. Yeah. Uh, and, and they went ahead, scored quickly. Wisconsin was just kind of thrown from at that point, but in the end, Wisconsin was able to stop them. It, I think the big reason I went with it was just because of the way that uh, Chris Orr backed up what he did uh, in talking about it afterwards, talking about uh, he isn't squatting 600, 600 pounds and whatnot uh, was very cool. And so that, to me, that was the, the, the biggest play just because of uh like you said, the timeliness of it and the impact that it had because Wisconsin only ended up winning by two points. What do you got? Yeah, I agree. That's what I had down too, but I'll touch on another one since I think uh, I, I'm going to use that play maybe for a later award. So I'll touch on another one. I thought uh, in terms of another timely play that kind of flipped the game, the Reggie Pearson forced fumble against Michigan uh, was a huge one, just given that yeah, obviously Michigan had that long play to open the game and get down and look like they were about to even up the score against the Badgers. And then that play where he basically, you know, Pearson got his helmet in there, knocked that ball loose and the Badgers were able to jump on it. I think it flipped just the entire script of that Michigan game where if, if the Wolverines would have scored, I think they would have finally got some confidence, but just going back to when Michigan was, you know, really not clicking on all cylinders like they have later in the season, a big part of that was turnovers, and I think that you know punch out in the, basically within I think it was around the eight ten yard line, you know when they're about to you know knock it in for seven points and get this game evened up, it ended up being just a, a huge momentum flipper, and uh, so that's what I had down as my I, I kind of had those one A and one B. I, I don't think you can really beat the Chris Orr play, uh, just given how big of a moment that was, but I had that one down too. Um, and then I, I had another honorable mention of the Noah Burks pick six against Northwestern, but that just wasn't as timely as those other two. So congratulations to Chris Orr on that goal line stand for, for getting the Bucky's fifth podcast defensive play of the year award. Yeah. Eric Burrell <laughs> was right in there too. So, so credit yep. to him as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We've got those two down and out. And now this one I think was a little bit more challenging for me to decide on. Obviously, the defensive one was had some huge moments, but the top offensive play. What did you have down for your top offensive play of 2019? 
Oh man, there's there's so many of them. Um, you know, I think I think you can go with a lot of different a lot of different plays. I, I think for me, um, I would have to say I always love it when the Badgers bust out the reverse the reverse calls. Wisconsin had that multiple times. I, I think the one where um, where we saw that Kendrick Pryor went for 66 yards, it was it, that was a thing of beauty. Um, I thought that was such a cool play. Just just the way that the the play is set up and develops with linemen out in front and knocking guys over as bowling pins. It's always cool to see and and watching them go. I, I know it was against Michigan State and it was late in the game, so it didn't really impact things. But it was one of those, you know, if you remember the salt gif where he just dropped some salt, it was like, man, let's just pile drive Michigan State late. And it, it was it was cool to see. Yeah, that one was a great play. That was obviously a. Uh... Like you said, a, a capper for Wisconsin to finish off really another uh, solid game against a, a team that at that point was still Michigan State, a still strong Michigan State team coming into that game. They had been disappointing, but they had an opportunity to, of course, maybe save their season and turn around a little bit. And obviously that didn't happen uh, with Michigan State just finishing out at 6-6. Six and six. But at that moment, it, it just felt like a, a big statement win, just given that the Badgers had kind of been on a run of lately, obviously with the Michigan win and the uh, Kent State win mixed in there. And then, of course, you beating Michigan State, too. So coming into the season, when we expected those two games to maybe be toss-ups and maybe the Ohio State one, we chalked up in there with that. Those both games, and of course the Michigan State one, was was huge. So I like that choice. Mine, I had a little bit of trouble with. I kind of going off my defensive you know, play of the year, I think the Jonathan Taylor run, against Michigan for 70-some yards the couple plays later was was a big one. But really, I think to me, the one that stuck out the most was Jack Cohn's just dime of a throw to Quintus Cephas in that Minnesota game. I, for me, that I think that was the play that got me most excited uh, just in the moment and the way it was executed and just probably his best throw of the season to his top target you know, in, a, in a big spot was was awesome to see just Jack cut it loose and take the top off Minnesota's de- uh, you know defense. So I had to go with that one just given the moment. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I'm, I I think that's definitely one that's right up there just given everything that went into it and how big it was in the crucial time. Um, I would also say like the the touchdown passes to Cephas right away against Central Michigan where Wisconsin was kind of steamrolling them. But we didn't really know what Quintus Cephas was going to bring to the table this season after the offseason turmoil. Uh, to see him go out there and drop 130 and two touchdowns against Central Michigan on a couple of just pretty pretty catches and to see just how um, excited the fans were when that happened was was awesome. So I would also throw those in as honorable mention as well. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. There was I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of defensive plays stood out in the moment. But there's been a lot there was a lot of good offensive plays that that you could recollect. I think just from execution standpoint and timeliness, that entire Minnesota game seemed to be, you know, well executed with the screen passes and the, the end arounds and everything like that. And there's a lot of offensive plays that you could probably make an argument for just given just given the season, you know, and the way it it kind of shook out. So I, I was I was curious to see where we would both go with just because there's, you know, so many great options from a team that executed pretty well on the offensive side of the football. 
Yeah, I think it's pretty telling that we went kind of in different different routes with it. It tells you just kind of how good the offense was at times this year and it was kind of a revelation after last season where there was times when they just really couldn't do anything and it really left you scratching your head with some subpar quarterback play. Right, exactly. You know, we both talked about obviously the uh, need to mix it up coming into the season and, and get a little bit more flashy and get back to what Wisconsin had been doing in those Monte Ball Melvin Gordon, James White days with all the the mix and match and Joe Rudolph and Paul Chris credit to them. They certainly got back to that. And it, it obviously made a big difference from, you know, eight and five to a 10 and three and a Rose Bowl appearance. Let's get into some, you know, newcomers. And obviously this doesn't necessarily, obviously doesn't have to be a freshman. You know, this can award we, I think we kind of both thought was more of a guy that was, was not a huge impact player last season that emerged into you know a, a key part of of this team so who was your uh defensive newcomer of the year um I, I think i'm gonna go with two different guys just because it was hard for me to to pick one i know that's kind of hedging a bit but at the same time i thought reggie pearson had a tremendous year you know he he didn't have any interceptions but he had he had three and a half tackles for lost had a couple for couple forced fumbles was fourth on the team in tackles and was absolutely able to just deliver some huge hits. You know, I think back to that Nebraska tackle where he just blew up a, a tunnel screen at the one yard line to keep them from scoring. He, he, you know, obviously the huge hit against Michigan where uh, Dylan McCaffrey will probably never forget. Um, it, it, it's one of those things where he's had a great year and really gave a glimpse of what he could do in the future. Um, and then the other guy who really just kind of burst on the scene I think people thought he might get a few minutes here or there, but I don't think anybody saw what um, what Keanu Benton was going to do coming. You know, I mean, he is he played so well this year, basically starting for the better half of the seasons season after Bryson Williams was down for the past six, seven games. So he, he got some sacks. He, he was good in run coverage. He looks like a guy who's uh, going to be a good one for the Badgers. And they hit on an in-state guy in a big way. I know he had two sacks. Uh, and then he also had a couple quarterback hurries. So I would say those two really jumped out to me. Who do you got? I've got, you know, I, I wrote down Reggie Pearson as well. He was probably my number two choice, but I had to go with obviously Jack Sanborn. He played very sparingly last year and was uh, obviously a huge impact player for the defense this year. 70 some tackles, I think five and a half or six sacks was right up there with Chris Orr at a position that, Coming into the season, I think both you and I knew Jack Sanborn was pretty talented and and was going to fill that role nicely. The way and you know just given the history of Wisconsin linebackers' ability to develop, uh, but I don't I didn't really I guess expect him to to have that dominating of a season that maybe wasn't as flashy as the Chris Orr plays or the you know the Zach Bond sacks or you know the the Garrett Rands and Isaiah Loudermilk defensive presence on the line. But Jack Sanborn was kind of one of those guys that. You know, came in, you know, lunch pail type guy, came in, made the plays, and and maybe didn't get as much praise as he should have, but came to work every day and, and put in the work, kind of like, you know, my one of my favorite Badgers of all time, Ryan Connolly. So I had to go with Jack Sanborn, and anytime I can work Ryan Connolly into the podcast episode, I'm a happy man. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> He's one of my favorites ever, so. Um, but yeah, I think, I think all three of those guys are good choices. I mean, they've, they all were huge for this defense, you know, this season and, and coming into next season will be 
impact guys that are now proven and guys that we can talk about, you know, with more excitement and less question marks than, than we had at the beginning of the season. For sure. All right. Let's get into our offensive newcomer of the year. Then this one was kind of hard for me. I'm not going to lie until I, until I really thought about it. Um, so who was your offensive newcomer of the year? Uh, I think there's a couple different, different guys who could, who could get this award. I think, Obviously, you know, Cephas coming back and kind of jumping in there. I don't think he necessarily qualifies in my book for it. I think Nakia Watson had a solid year rushing for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Um, But I think I'm actually going to go with Mason Stockey. Um, You know, I think both him and John Chanel had their moments at fullback. They both had some nice plays. I thought Mason Stockey really, the way he played against Minnesota, uh, making some nice catches. He had that diving catch, had had some, some nice runs. He was a guy who was a was an X factor at times, given his blocking ability. He's a guy who can really road grade, you know, give some give some space for Jonathan Taylor to run. And I thought he did a tremendous job uh, going forward. And I think, you know, go, going ahead, him and uh, John Chanel will probably get a lot more uh, touches next season as we're not totally sure how Wisconsin's going to pivot without Jonathan Taylor uh, in the fold. Who do you got? Yeah. Yeah, I like both of those picks. I had those guys written down. And as you mentioned at the beginning, I didn't know if we could use Quintez Cephas on it. Um, but that's who I had, just given that he wasn't with the team last year. But I think we all knew what he could be on the offensive side of the football. It was just more a matter of fact of would he be the same player when he came back. Um, so if that counts as a newcomer, I'm not sure. And then I, I'll give it I, to you. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't, I was like, eh, this one, maybe, maybe not. And then, you know, the fullbacks I had written down as well, because obviously Jonathan Taylor has been around for years and we all know the names and the other receivers are, you know, veteran guys that have been around. So it was kind of, and same with Jake Ferguson. So it was kind of, uh, you know, touchy to try and figure out. And then of course you've got some guys on the offensive line. Uh, but I, I like the fullback picks, and I think both of those guys are going to be solid options going forward, similar to what we had, obviously, with Alec Ingold and, and those guys. But I think you're going to, like you said, see those guys maybe get more touches next season because we're not sure where this offense is going to go in terms of running the football. So I like those, but I, I still went with Cephas on, on a technicality that way. <laughs> no, you do you, man. I think that's fair. I, I thought some of the, the two interior guards at times played well in Seltzner and Lyles. I thought they yeah. both had shown flashes of what they could do and, and being able to kind of carry the the load as well at the guard. I, I couldn't pick Logan, Logan Bruss just simply because he I think he played too much last year. But, yeah, I think the offensive line as a whole uh, showed that they do have some good depth and youth in the wings as it looks like Tyler Biotish is – I would assume gone and, and you're going to have guys like David Mormon uh, also moving, moving on and, uh, and Jason Erdman. So there's going to be space for those guys to play a lot next year. And I thought they did enough to, to give the coaching staff some, some uh, flashes of their potential. Absolutely. Yeah. Those big boys deserve some mention. They don't get enough love. Obviously Wisconsin fans probably appreciate their linemen more than most fan bases, but they never get enough love that they deserve. So Guys, we're going to get back into some awards after a quick commercial break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we've talked our newcomers. We've talked our plays of the year. Now we're going to get into a little bit different. Um, We're going to get to our MVPs. But the next one I wanted to ask was more so uh, moments of the season. Obviously, uh, the first one I have written down is what moment would you like to change of this 2019 season? So maybe a negative. Obviously, there's certain ones that come to mind where I don't know if this was going to be a hard one to figure out. But what moment would you, if you could go back and change it, and maybe start the game over from that point or something, what what play would you go to or what moment would you go to? Um, that is a tough one. I could, you could go back to the game that was just played against Ohio State and point to a couple, you know, the fake, the fake punt that kind of just changed everything as the Badgers had looked so good and, and everything there. But then I, th- I think it has to be at some point in Illinois. Um, yeah. You know, Illinois just – Wisconsin just missed some tackles, wasn't able to take advantage of some plays. And it, it was one of those where it just kind of left you scratching your head. I think in all honesty, the the time where uh, it makes me really wish it, it didn't happen was late in the game where we threw the interception, or I guess I didn't throw the interception, Jack Cone threw the <laughs> interception. Um, you know, I think that was just like a absolute backbreaker and gave Illinois a fighting chance, even though Wisconsin had had the ball with with a lead. And that I think just taking away that one interception and, you know, running the ball and punting it away. And I think that game actually ends totally differently. And Wisconsin's able to get out of there by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, that's what I had down to. I think that's kind of the the obvious one, but it's it's definitely the most painful one. But thankfully, there's not a lot of other options because this team played pretty well throughout the season. But obviously that one, you know, the, both the turnovers in the Illinois game were costly. And I think if you could go back to either one and flip that game, it, it probably goes differently. Maybe you escape that one with a win and then you go and you, you win the rest of them and you obviously lose at Ohio State the following week. But then maybe you're going to the Big Ten championship game with one loss and if you if you win that game and make a few more plays in that one you you could be in a playoff conversation so while it's tough obviously to to rethink about those and obviously I think it's a pretty glaring moment in the season this team kind of bounced back and I think that's what makes college football so fun and so interesting is just the fact that one little play like that or one little miscue can can change not only a game or a drive or a quarter but it can change the entire outcome of your season so that's you know where it differs from the the pro level and why i think i love it so much is that every every snap matters every quarter matters every game matters and it's just one of those things that we'll look back and in probably 10 years and think kind of what could have happened if you could go back and change it but unfortunately you, you just can't yeah i think you nailed the nailed it on the head there (laughs) <laughs> that one stuck out to me pretty well. So I had I had that all ready to go and ready to fire off because it's just it, it's burned in between my temples. Just I can I can rewatch that interception and that fumble without having to uh, turn the highlights on. You can just see it and it's seared in there. But let's talk about more positives. Obviously, uh, we'll get to our MVPs in a little bit. But 
we're we I first want to talk about obviously we just talked about negative moments that we could change but what was just kind of your culminative favorite moment of this season I think for me it was seeing Chris Orr absolutely sprint to go grab that axe you know in in talking with him before the season at at uh Wisconsin media day, you know, he was, he was fired up to talk about the X and how much it meant to get that back and how much it stung last season. And to see him running across the field, you know, as like a little kid was, was, was super joyous and it was super cool to see. And, you know, you, you got to feel good for the Badgers to kind of rebound the way they did and still go ahead and take care of the West division and get it back and to go ahead and do it in Minnesota against a rival on game day. It was, it hits you right in the feels for a lot of those guys. And it was, it was cool to see. Yep. I, that was mine too. I totally agree. I had, uh, I had the goal or not the goal line, but the two point conversion stand by Chris Orr against Iowa, just simply because it, it kept them alive for that big 10 West hut, you know, but you can't deny the fact of just the, I, I had just the players getting the ax backs in general was, was so cool to see with, like you said, game day, you know, battle for the big 10 West. Obviously the excitement was, was there from the fan base and just to get that back after such a heartbreaking, you know, just blowout last season where they got it for the first time in, in forever and all the hype that Minnesota had, it, it just felt so it felt so good, and I can't imagine as obviously it felt great for us as the fans, but I can't imagine how it felt for those you know seniors and, and those guys that have put in a lot of time and made some great plays and won a lot of football games. Obviously, if they were to lost you know lose that game, it would have it would have really been a downer on this season that has turned out to be pretty well. So I don't think you can really make a lot of arguments for any other ones, just given how special that moment was. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's get into, obviously, that we've got our favorite moments now. So it's time to, of course, do our MVPs. Uh, we've got uh, our special teams, and then we'll do our defensive, and then our offensive MVPs, and then maybe we can pick a our, our overall um, you know, MVP of the team, because I, I, I'm interested to see kind of where we go with this. So what did you have down first for your special teams MVP? Uh, I would say for special teams, I think Aaron Krikshank is obviously up there, but I'll go with Zach Hintz. Just the way he was able to command the kickoff unit was so great. He had, I think he ended up with like 63 kickoffs uh, through the end zone. Just, you know, giving touchbacks is huge. It limits the opportunities for other teams to uh, take advantage of your defense and get out there with better field position. Uh, and then obviously the 62 yarder to flip the script and really give the team momentum when they were, you know, pushed to the brink against Purdue in a lot of ways. So I thought that was such a cool moment. He obviously tied or uh, got this, the school record in terms of field goal yardage and to also just dominate the way he has all season long and kickoffs. I just, I'm going to go with him. I, I like that pick too. That's who I had written down to. I know it's not as flashy as Aaron Crookshank. I think Crookshank's probably the easy, easy answer just given that, he was the leader in return yards. He had the return for a touchdown. So stats-wise, yeah, he's the guy. But Zach Hintz, like you said, it wasn't maybe the most important thing, and people probably don't realize it. But anytime you've got a guy that can boom it through the end zone every time where your coverage team doesn't have to worry about a return, doesn't have to worry about a play getting busted open and taking back for six or seven points, that's a huge difference. And I know it's not the flashiest play. It's just a kickoff. and 
most fans are probably checking their phones or, or doing something else at the time or not really paying attention to it. But in the grand scheme of football, it makes a big difference. So I, I really like that pick. Yeah. And I mean, the, you know, the 62 yard field goal is super impressive, but I was almost more impressed when uh, after the Noah Burks 68 yard touchdown that you had talked about against Northwestern, he went ahead, Noah Burks had a little extra celebration that led to a 15 yard penalty and, and, they backed it up 15 yards from the opposite 20. He still booted it through the end zone. So that was uh, that was super impressive from him to end that play as well. Yeah, who would have thought the kickoff specialist gets so much praise on this? But there were a lot of defining moments, and obviously that that field goal and and his kickoffs were impressive. But that field goal is is going to probably be something that we see on that Wisconsin football intro for years to come, just given how how cool it was and how big of a momentum swing it was to, to hit something like that. So kudos to the boot of Zach Hintz. <laughs> All right, let's do defensive MVP. There's there's a couple choices here. I'm, I'm interested to see what we got down for those. So who do you have for your defensive MVP? All right, you go first because I'm, I'm, I'm grappling with a couple different guys. Oh, sure, sure. That's kind of what I was doing <laughs> too. But um, <laughs> I, I had to go with, Chris Orr on this one. I think just, uh, you know, the stats are are probably even with some other guys. I think he had 72 tackles. And you can talk about the stats and the numbers for him. So, yeah, 72 tackles, 32 assisted and 40 solos and 11 and a half, half sacks is obviously crucial to this team's success and, and the forced fumbles throughout the season. But I also think just from a leadership standpoint, he was the catalyst for this defense, a kind of a tie-all that you know, obviously we all know Chris Orr, very vocal, very talkative, likes to you know trash talk and, and talk to the media. And, and that's fun for us media guys because I had a chance to talk to him a couple times throughout the season. Uh, and then a, down at Big Ten Media Days, he was he was you know on full display as, as being a talkative and leader and just a, a guy that really embraced that role and, and leading the defense, making the calls making sure the guy's in the right place. I just, I think it's too fitting for, for it to not be Chris Orr. So I'll turn the, I'll turn the table to you. Yeah. He was definitely one of the guys that I was uh, trying to figure out between. So just for the contrarian perspective, I'll just go with Zach Vaughn. Uh, I think it's either one, you're just splitting hairs in between the two of them, but for him, for an outside linebacker to be only one tackle away from the, the team lead is, is crazy. You, you would normally in Wisconsin's, scheme think of the inside linebackers kind of taking care of most of those those tackles but Zach Vaughn was was just so influential throughout the season you know he had 19 and a half tackles for loss 12 and a half sacks both team leads Um, and then he went ahead and had that interception for a touchdown which was which was awesome to see where he kind of tapped it to himself off one hand and and then you know he also had the the force two force fumbles uh, which went ahead and on both of those uh, forced fumbles. I want to say at least one of them led to the touchdown for Matt Henningsen. And then the other one, I can't remember when the other one happened, but it might've also led to uh, a score. Vaughn was, was all over the field. You know, if in the defensive um, top plays coming out, you'll see both him and Chris Orr's names littered throughout the article, just because of the impact that they had. Um, I think another guy who 
was kind of underlooked based off of his play was Eric Burrell. I thought he had a tremendous season at safety, didn't come in starting at the beginning of the year, but he really just kind of flourished in, in his role. And I'm really excited to see what uh, he can do next year. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all good mentions. I, I, I kind of forgot about Eric Burrell, but he had a lot of big plays that would be worthy of, you know, that nomination. So uh, I think, yeah, Zach Vaughn is a great answer too. That's, that's kind of who I was deciding between just given, you know, how big of an impact those guys had as seniors, you know, you expect coming into the season to rely on your seniors and your upperclassmen and your, your defensive leaders. And those guys didn't disappoint. And that's crucial to a football team success. And I think that's how they were, you know, were able to get those double digit wins. You don't do that without dominating effort from, of course, your, your, or defensive leaders that way. So we got offensive MVPs, but I forgot one. So we're going to go backwards a little bit. And I wanted to ask, what player, you know, just given what we saw this season, what player are you maybe most excited to see what they will be next season? Maybe just because you saw a glimpse of them, you think they're going to be special with another, you know, year of training under their belt. I'm excited to see what Leo Chanel does next year. I think he's slated to be the inside linebacker next to Jack Sanborn. I think the two of them can really cause some havoc. Leo Chanel had glimpses where he was in there in the game, stick his nose in there. He can make some big plays. Uh, he, he's fun to watch. He had, he had a couple sacks on the year, or I think one sack on the year and a fumble recovery. So I think he's a guy just because of his pedigree, obviously didn't redshirt this year. One of the lone guys, I think him and Keanu Benton on the offense um, is are my two guys to kind of just see what they can do next year after building upon what they put together this year. Uh, who do you got? Yeah, I had Keanu Benton written down. Obviously, he's filled in and wasn't. We expected him to, you know, be a rotating guy on the defensive line to, you know, spell Bryson Williams and and come in and and be a role player. And he kind of merged into not only a starter but a guy that really showed flashes and and made a big impact at some crucial times. So I'm I'm super excited to see what he's going to become. Just given that. Wisconsin generally, at least uh, in the interior at the nose tackle position, doesn't have you know a long history of dominating players at that position. I think Keanu Benton could could emerge into that. Obviously, being a true freshman stepping into that role uh, is a lot is a lot for a guy to try and take on and, and figure out. So I had him written down as as my I don't know if there's a right term for it, but the guy we're most excited to see come this time next year. All right, so we've talked our defensive MVPs, we've talked our special teams, we've given out all of our awards, but now it's time to get into our offensive MVP, and maybe our team MVP will kind of go off of that, but who did you have for your offensive, and then you can kind of just go ahead with your your team MVP as well. Yeah, I think obviously the Wisconsin offense, you know, goes through Jonathan Taylor, just the way that he, you know, all eyes are on him, he's the top of the chalkboard guy that every defense is looking for, trying to stop. Um, but because of that, I'm going to go with him as the team MVP. Um, you know, obviously 1,900 yards rushing, 26 total touchdowns, was an absolute beast. You know, once again, uh, I thought that this was actually his best year. Um, you know, it might not bear itself it's statistically, but, you know, you could see his patience and his his um, break tackle ability and his speed just really – maximized this season and he really put himself in a good situation for the pros to make um, some good money. Um, so I've pivoted in terms of the offensive MVP 
um, to go with something different. I went with the duo Jack Cohn and, and Quintez Cephas. I think Jack Cohn had such a great year, especially with the uh, ineptitude of the quarterback play last year. I mean, he went ahead, had a 70% completion percentage, almost 200 yards a game, over a four to one touchdown to interception ratio. There's not much more you can ask out of the dude. I thought he played exceptionally well and really um, was able to distribute the ball. And, you know, I think the the biggest recipient of that was Quintez Cephas. You know, he balled out this year, 52 catches, over 800 yards and six touchdowns. He was he was a difference maker that Wisconsin really hasn't had in the the passing game since. I mean, you can go ahead and say Alex Erickson, Jared Aberderis, but a lot of times though they weren't guys that you could just throw it up to like in that uh, championship game and let him go up against a, a top corner like Jeff Okuda and out jump the dude and make the play. Like it it was it was something special. He came on so hard this year and. To see the the way that those two gelled after such a short off season was was crazy, and I I thought those two really were the biggest reason for the team's success offensively because we already knew what Jonathan Taylor was going to do. He was going to do him, and he's and he's the best running back in the country for a reason. But the other two were um, you know great to see because they really helped the Wisconsin offense in a major way. Yeah, I think we're kind of on the same same wavelength. I, I was thinking that same thing where I had, for my offensive MVP, obviously, yes, Jonathan Taylor is the best player on the offense, and there was never any arguing that. Uh, but I, I had I had Quintez Cephas written down for my offensive MVP. And when I think of MVP, obviously, value is, is its most valuable player. And I think, you know, on the offensive side, Quintez Cephas really brought a lot of value to this team because I think, if you obviously, if you were to subtract Jonathan Taylor, this team would not nearly be as good. But you'd probably still be able to run the ball, you know, decently. You know, with some of the other guys you've got, you just wouldn't be able to do it at the level of Jonathan Taylor. If you didn't have Quintus Cephas on this offense, I don't know where they would have been because he provided such a passing game threat and, and such a deep ball threat that you just didn't have from other guys this season. I don't really think, obviously, A.J. Taylor and Danny Davis and, and Kendrick Pryor were big names coming into the season, but I don't think any of those three guys were you know, super stoked about their production this season. But part of that is just because Quintus Cephas was by far the number one option. And part of that, of course, like you said, goes to Jack Cohn and him getting the, him the football. And I know, obviously, Cohn has, has gotten a lot of criticism from the fan base this season, which I, I don't think is at all warranted. I think he's been... You know, a lot better than what we've had in these past couple seasons with Alex Hornibrook, and and I think he was incredibly efficient. And despite not getting maybe the, the pat on the backs that he deserves from the fans, he went out and did his thing. So I like I like what you were thinking. And then of course for Team MVP, it's it's without a doubt Jonathan Taylor. He's 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 probably the best, you know, one of the best overall players in the country. I know he didn't get a Heisman invite like we talked about earlier, but. He's dominated for three seasons. He's by far the team MVP. I mean, 21 rushing touchdowns, another boatload of yards. I don't even know how many he finished with because I know it's a lot, just like he's put up the first two seasons. So he's without a doubt the, the team MVP. But I, I think that we're kind of both on the same wavelength on that one. So that kind of wraps up our awards, unless you've got anything else you've got down for awards or else we'll get into this 
basketball game that I don't think either of us really want to talk about. <laughs> uh, well, just to delay the inevitable, um, we, we talked kind of both on the defense about a guy who we're excited to see next year. Anybody on the offense that you're pumped to see, what kind of their progression as the year goes by? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's got to be Nakia Watson. Obviously, he, he emerged as the number two back this season with Garrett Groshek. I think I don't know if you can rely on you know Garrett Groshek to be your number one back. So I think Nikia Watson is going to be a guy that is is going to probably be vital to this offense. Obviously, we've had Jonathan Taylor for the past three seasons for pretty much the entire entirety of the season, and the, the likelihood, I mean, the guarantee is that he's going pro. So I think the I think the just given how you know Wisconsin runs the ball so much how heavily they rely on it I think it has to be a guy like him what about you yeah I think it's I think it's definitely Nakia Watson or Julius Davis if he can get back healthy yep. and and really kind of make some splash plays you know at this point it's it's one of those two guys who has got to shoulder the load unless uh, a true freshman comes in and kind of wows everybody but at this point with the early signing period being only a week away, Wisconsin still doesn't have a running back commit. So I think it's got to be one of those two guys to really make a step. I think they're both supremely talented. Uh, I know Jonathan Taylor has spoke very highly of Nakia Watson, as have his teammates. We'll see if Isaac Garendo can kind of make make an impact as well, you know, given his speed and some, maybe some builded co- boosted confidence after the Minnesota game. But I think Nakia Watson played really well this year. You know, he averaged, averaged four and a half half yards of carry and really uh, showed what he could do. And he, he can just knock guys over and fall forward. And I, I think he's got to still increase some of his uh, dynamic capability. But man, oh, man, when he hits a hole, he's hitting it hard. And, you know, he's going to take guys with him. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be obviously big shoes to fill for whoever steps into that role. But just given the history of Wisconsin at running back, they've hit on one after another, you know, without really missing a beat. Obviously, no, I don't think anyone's going to be. The next Jonathan Taylor, he's probably going to be, you know, enshrined in, in Badger glory forever. The way we talk about Ron Dane, the way we talk about Melvin Gordon and even Monte Ball. So, I, I it's going to be interesting to see how that position plays out. But those, you know, those two guys will definitely need to step up, and I think will be exciting again next season. All right, we've delayed it long enough. It's time to talk. You know, if if you guys came for the awards, I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to shut it off at this point, we won't blame you. But we, uh, as a Wisconsin Athletics podcast, we have to talk about the basketball game against Rutgers. So, Matt, I mean, obviously not pretty again. Kind of disappointing given that the Badgers had some momentum after that Indiana win. Uh, Came out, probably played their best game of the season against Indiana. Did a lot of things right, but followed it up with the clunker. It's kind of been the M- back to the M.O. So what did you see from this game? Uh, what did you think of uh, that, that Badgers game in Rutgers? You know, I thought Kobe King played really well. I mean, obviously 18 points. Uh, you know, Trevor Anderson was able to bring bring a spark off the bench. I actually think the bench in general played really well. I would have liked to see some of them be a little more aggressive in the second half after they had made so many good plays in the first half. I know uh, – Anderson had six in the first half, finished with 11. Pritzel had six in the first half, finished with six. And Tyler Wall really was was nowhere to be seen in the second half after playing so well in the first half and really sparking the offense. 
in a lot of ways, as well as the defense with some hustle plays. But, you know, it was it was once again the the turnovers. Wisconsin had 14 on the game, 12 of which in the first half. And then you look you looked at some of the the rebounding numbers and it was just brutal. I mean, Wisconsin was out rebounded by 15, 40 to, to 15. And and you saw Rutgers with 14 <laughs> offensive rebounds, which led to an, a crazy amount of points. It's just it was unacceptable the rebounding output that they had you know you got to get your your butt into a guy and and block out and too often Wisconsin's just trying to scramble to try to grab the ball I know that they're undersized right now at times just simply because I'll lean forward for everything he can do at times he is a stretch three for the most part right now he's he's playing the four and he's not physical enough at this time Reavers is still not physical at center to to get rebounds I mean he only had five this game I think he's only averaging around four or five on the season um and they just weren't able to block out and make the plays necessary on the boards and they got dominated so hopefully Micah Potter can bring a rebounding intensity because man oh man if if it's anything like this Wisconsin's going to be about 500 all season long because other teams have have uh better rebounders than what Rutgers does uh oh yeah moving ahead you know oh yeah Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's not to obviously harp on it because the Micah Potter ship for this part of the season has already sailed. And, you know, I think it's kind of died down in terms of the, the free Micah Potter train, but he would make a huge difference for this team. And that's kind of what you saw again tonight. I mean, obviously the turnovers were bad, but really it wasn't. And it's scary to say this just given how the offense wasn't very good, but it wasn't their worst output of the season, right? <laughs> you, yeah, It was bad, but it wasn't their worst. I think probably NC State has got to be the worst that you'll hopefully see all season from this team, but it, it's, it wasn't as bad as, as they've been at times this season, it, which, is, which is scary in its own right. But it was, it was definitely disappointing. And I think just more so the follow-up after that Indiana game. I mean, you weren't expecting for them to come out against Indiana like that, but you definitely weren't expecting them to follow it up the way they did, right? Yeah, I mean they they kind of dropped an egg tonight. I know they were 1.5 point uh, you know underdogs in this one just simply because of the way that they've played uh, in New Jersey as in the last couple matchups. But I th- I mean the big thing is they they actually shot the ball better than Rutgers did on this and on the night in all in all three phases. You know they are, I guess not free throws, but they shot better from the field and from three. The the difference was Rutgers took 63 shots and Wisconsin took 48. I mean, the offensive rebounds and the turnovers were absolutely killer on Wisconsin. And it just led to, and uh, I mean, too many times where Rutgers was able to get the extra shot and be able to put the ball in the basket. I mean, you give any team 15 extra possessions, I can almost guarantee you're going to lose. Like yeah. the fact that they were only down seven when, when you gift the team seven extra possessions, you know, or 15 extra possessions is, is amazing. You know, they, they need to be better in the little things, which has been, you know, their MO this year, like you said, you know, the little things have been hurting them. And obviously the, the shooting hasn't been great. They only shot 34 and a, 34.8% from three and took 23 shots from behind the arc. But you know, it's shooting wasn't the dire issue in this one. It was it was the empty possessions that they took and some decision making and the inability to get rebounds. Yeah, yeah. No, I it's it's kind of the same. It's not so much 
that they they consistently do the same thing wrong where it's one thing they just do a lot of things poorly and that's what really hurts this team is that it, when one thing's finally kind of figured out something else starts to hamper them and when that gets figured out it's something else and then they sprinkle in a a, a big win against uh, an undefeated team and they hook you back in and then they they followed up with that but really for this team i know we're we're kind of back to sink or swim because the schedule does not it does not lighten up at all over the next you know couple weeks i know they've got riders sprinkled in there but and uw milwaukee coming up on on saturday but they've got road trips to tennessee and then ohio state and then they've got somebody tough after that i can't think of who it is but it, it oh, doesn't get yeah. any easier yeah, Illinois, who's going to be tough. Oh, but, yep. yeah, I mean, they've, they've got 10 days now because they don't actually play until next Saturday against Milwaukee. Oh, um, right. But, I mean, they they need to take these next 10 days to really figure some stuff out because, you know, you're going to have a holiday break uh, for a bit and you got finals coming up and whatnot. But they they got to be able to make sure that they're hitting the hardwood and they're cleaning up some of these issues. Micah Potter's coming back against Milwaukee, which I know will – be exciting and it'll be great. I'm interested to see if he's slotted into the starting lineup uh, for a lean forward because he's more of a natural four or if he is instead comes off the bench, which, you know, like I said, actually played fairly well tonight. Um, but it things have got to be better if Wisconsin wants to contend in the Big Ten because, I mean, you, you said it with you said Ohio State. They've got Ohio State, Illinois, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan State. You know, back to back to back to back. And Penn State just beat Maryland. Michigan State's loaded. You know, Illinois has some of the best guards in the country and definitely in the Big Ten. And Ohio State's ranked third in the country. I mean, this this isn't getting any easier, especially when you pair Tennessee, who's ranked 19th as well. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's uh, you got two gimmies that you got to you got to blow out the water and, and clean some stuff on. And you got to gel quick because you're at Tennessee uh in in two weeks yeah exactly i mean you've got and yeah like you said the tough schedule with the tennessee one four of those games are away so it's it's not like you're playing at your home court where the badgers historically have always played better you're on the road in some pretty pretty tough environments obviously michigan state is is a very tough one and you know ohio state is developing into i think a, a top tier you know, basketball program under Chris Holman. So it's it's not going to get any easier for this team. So I've seen Michael Potter being back will help, but I don't know if it's going to make as big of a difference uh, as they might need. So where this team goes from here is anyone's best guess, but that kind of wraps up our basketball talk. There's not a lot to talk about from that game. Obviously, we hit on the disappointments, and the bench, I think, was the probably the biggest positive. But other than that, you know, there's, there's still just a lot of things to – fix up so guys that wraps up our week in you know our recap award show and then our basketball talk obviously next week we will be back with i think on tuesday we might do just some college football landscape talk talk bowl games talk stuff like that to get you guys a show and then on thursday obviously with you know signing day coming up next week getting started on that we've got some fun stuff in the works nothing has been finalized with a lot of that but matt and i have been kicking around ideas for what we want to do to give you guys the recruiting coverage because we obviously we know that that's a big driver on the website and so hopefully you, know, you guys you guys will find that our you know signing day recruiting podcast just as interesting so we've got some stuff in the works and we're pretty excited about that thank you guys for listening as always make sure to rate review and subscribe on wisconsin mm-hmm.